Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. What's up? It is 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News, where we explain marijuana laws so you can change them. Today, we are joined by Morris Partee and Aaron Goins from the Massachusetts Cannabis Association for Delivery. We're going to talk about uh, Massachusetts cannabis delivery. So let's just get right into it. Hey, Aaron and Morris, Miggy and Tom. Happy Sunday, everyone. Good afternoon. Hello, hello. How you doing? Morris, can you tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing at the Massachusetts Cannabis Association for Delivery? Sure. So that is an organization that Aaron and I were sort of naturally involved with, along with uh, Aaron's wife, Janelle, uh, Chris Fevry, Devin Alexander. And so the five of us were uh, uh, just working on, on delivery regulations in Massachusetts when Chris Fevry said, hey, we should have an organization to sort of uh, uh, combine our efforts and, and to give them a focus. So, so we're in the process right now of, of making that organization official. So it's, Mass, uh, as you said, Massachusetts Cannabis Association for Delivery. We call it MCAD for short, and it can be found online at masscad.org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And if you're from the Commonwealth, don't forget to give us a like and then subscribe for more information on Massachusetts cannabis. So what is the lay of the land in Massachusetts when it comes to cannabis licenses? Want me to start on this one, Aaron? Um, yeah, uh, it's a shitstorm. Um, so basically, um, you kind of have to go back a few years ago. So what we have are our large incumbent players who were all RMDs, registered medical dispensaries. Uh, within the bylaws, they had a, I guess, a right in order to convert over to be recreational when the time came for that. So I guess in essence, you created a market because in order to be an RMD in the first place four or five years ago, you, it would, the barrier of entry financially was even more substantial than that recreational where you had to have $500,000 in your account seasoned, all other types of, and you had to be fully ver uh, vertically integrated. So right there, you saw the consolidation of power happen. And then I'm assuming they were probably sitting in a room uh, while the legislation was being written that allowed for them to have a priority status to convert over to recreational once recreational uh, pass. So you have these incumbent players around the state here who are medical and who are all now slowly switching over to recreational. And um, it's, uh, it's created a, a power dynamic uh, in this state. Uh, many of them are part of a, I don't even know what to, a larger association. I guess I'll say the Commonwealth Dispensary Association. Um, they have been the bane of our existence for quite some time. The consolidation, the, the uh, trying to get sued, the, the overarching sort of power levers that they use, because right now they control a good portion of the canopy that's available for wholesale. 
Now, granted, that's going to change over time, but you can understand how that kind of creates power dynamics. So you're telling me people with money don't want to share? Yeah, it's, it's shocking. You would have thought after like J.D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie and, you know, and even in J.P. Morgan, things would have changed. But nah, it's just kind of keeps going. But, I mean, okay. What about growers? Uh, do you, uh, Morris or Aaron, uh, do either of you know how many licenses for cultivation there are in Massachusetts? I'm not sure what the cultivation number is exactly, but there are about 70s, I think. Yeah, Maybe well, and there are about 75 retailers open in Massachusetts now. The uh, and the the amount of canopy that is either online now or about or in the process of coming online is actually going to be measured in the millions of square feet. Um, I, I, I took a look at how much canopy is like in the pipeline to come online via, you know, licensing a year ago. And I looked just at, at the western half of the state. And that was already in the neighborhood of, you know, two and a half to three million square feet combined. And, and of course, Aaron's got great thoughts about what he thinks Massachusetts total yeah. eventually canopy is before it saturates. Uh, yeah. So my background, uh, I worked on Wall Street for a, a number of years, uh, three years as an analyst, and then, I don't know, another 12 years as an equity derivatives trader. Um, so and my wife is an accountant, so that tells you how boring we are. Um, so, you know, we're very analytical in how we go about things. And um, right now, the way that our forecasts um we i see roughly about 5.8 to 6.65 uh million square feet that's currently in the pipeline uh right now um but there is a dynamic at play here when you know when it comes to cultivation uh you have a lead time obviously with um actually building out the facility uh, retailer, you can build that out in a matter of months. Cultivation can take uh, quite an uh, amount of time. And then obviously you still have another four or five months to get to your first harvest. So the that uh, canopy is probably going to start hitting over the next one to two years. In the meantime, though, the demand side equation of it is totally out of skew in Massachusetts. As Morris says, I believe we have over 70 retailers. Um, but right now in the queue, the last I checked, I think we have like 128 retailers in the pipeline at provisional or final stages. So now you have more demand side consideration that will come online way before the supply side can even, it won't even catch up even when supply side does come online. And then also you add on the element that definitely within this year, you're going to have the courier delivery license come online and the delivery operator license come online. Both of those are demand side considerations. So Massachusetts has the highest wholesale prices in the country. Uh, there's no other place for it to go within 2021, but up. Is, how much is an eighth? I'm sorry? How much is the retail 3.5 grams. Go ahead, Morris. I've seen a number of ranges, but you go ahead. Uh, I, I'm seeing that averaging like $55 an eighth uh, retail. Pre-tax? Pre no, oh, yeah, pre-tax, yeah. Pre-tax, yeah, so, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 You have to that's throw another 20% on top of that. Well, that, that, Rick, about Illinois prices. So uh, weed's expensive in Boston and, and Chicago. It's pretty cheap in Seattle. Like, you know, Miggy's always bringing on joints and getting deals. At the yeah, local yeah. country, yeah. I got I got another eight dollar one in the car right now, but uh, um, eight dollars, wow. eight dollar infused, not just uh, oh, infused, infused whoa, cram joints, yeah, that's how we roll. Wow, we're but, we're a long ways away from that. Wow. And you guys will get there. I mean, unfortunately, there's always that corporate greed that kind of fucks everybody in every state, right? We all yeah. have our own layer of BSness, mm -hmm. uh, and then obviously, you guys had to do the association because you're going against another association, um, which is kind of you would think like people in the cannabis would be for the greater good or for like the betterment of the industry itself. Right. Like let's all, you know, Washington's just getting to homegrown almost. And mm -hmm. we've had legalization here for eight years, but with, with you, Aaron, cause you, I, I saw you on another show, you're invested in a hundred K. Is that because 
Like, is there a recreational shop now? Can I come visit you guys and buy weed? Or are you waiting no. for a license agreement or some shit like that? Well, so the way that Massachusetts is set up, you have to um, get approved by your town first. Now, this is where a lot of heartache and carnage has actually occurred in Massachusetts. It's really the uh, host community agreement level. So for anyone to be able to even think about before you can apply to the Cannabis Control Commission, you have to go to a town that, first of all, is a yes town that voted that we're going to allow retail or any type of cultivation within our town. Um, And so you have to lock up property. Okay. now each one of these towns, they kind of treat marijuana like it's nuclear waste. So they create these marijuana overlay districts. And it's usually this sliver of land in the corner of the the, the town that probably one guy actually owns all all property in that area of people. So now you're kind of you're kind of captive then. So, you know. You go in, you find property, and obviously they kind of have you. And so the normal rate might be, I'm just making something up, the, uh, whatever square footage uh, uh, place it might be, they might charge you $7,500 a month. But, of course, there's a marijuana premium, so that might be $15,000 a month. And I kid you, yeah, you think I'm – you can ask Morris about this. No, no. no. It's, it's, it, it, uh, people go on out of business for that before they well, even got a license. Yeah, we structure certain things. <laughs> Okay, why? Uh, and was anybody else getting a, a feedback loop on that? There's a little bit of noise going on. Yeah. I, I can hear it. But like that's yeah. one of the ways you can structure some of the deals with a real estate component like that to suck out extra profit to um, uh, move money around, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, in Massachusetts, there's been a number of cases, a number of them, and Morris and I, we know a lot of them, where that people have been paying exorbitant rents for months as they're trying to get their HCA agreement set in the town. And you can imagine, I mean, it's a huge financial strain on a lot of people. And listen, you have to get architectural plans, um, security plans, I mean, all types of different stuff um, before you even get to that sort of point of being able to go to the CCC. So, you know, there is some upfront costs. A lawyer? Oh, yeah. Lawyers. Yeah. Lawyers love sucking the life out of you. Oh, that's who you are. I'm sorry. Before before the show, I was furiously working on uh, deficiency notices, doing the lawyering, just like, oh, oh, I see. We didn't specifically cite that. All right. Just a second. (laughs) You're saying there's no stories to to buy recreational weed, right? Oh, we have stores. I, well, not for me right now or oh, more. There, there are some open, though, because, I mean, oh, even yeah. as you're in the process of pending, it's effed up because uh, you're putting out of pocket in hopes that this place is going to get all approved and everything's going to work out for months and months. And that's not cheap. That's what crushed people out here in Washington. Plus, like, say you found a, a brick and mortar, and then all of a sudden, while you're trying to do the paperwork, they do a moratorium. Well, yeah, fuck mm-hmm. you. Yeah. yeah, that local aspect is interesting. I, I don't know why they don't do the state step first, like they can have some kind of qualification, but um, every state's different. Well, and then you guys you guys recently have uh, another lawsuit besides the, uh, 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 the, 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 the transport lawsuit, but Revolutionary Clinics, who is a oh. company suing a town for, for, for deciding that hey we're gonna we're gonna allow social equity we want we want to make this a better place and then that company says no oh, no you don't like who in their freaking right mind is gonna be against I mean that's this, this whole thing is gonna be about you can well, take that one Morris <laughs> sure well and, and not to defend revolutionary clinics because it's pretty hard to defend but at the same time I have I, I did one time talk to a representative there and she told me well well look the, the the town of Cambridge said that if we build a medical store there that we could then have an adult use when adult use comes online. So, so f- to be fair, from their point of view, it's like, hey, we've invested hundreds of thousands or millions, and now you, the town, are changing the rules on us. So, so that's you know, rightly or wrongly, that that's sort of their general perspective. Now, they've probably taken it way too far, and, and not appreciate appreciating the the social equity component. But but fundamentally, that's 
that is the as Aaron's like as as has alluded to so far. That's the problem in Massachusetts is that the state can say one thing of like, hey, here's social equity. We want to empower these people, give them a leg up. At the same time, when you have this completely separate municipal process that has no relation whatsoever to social equity at a state level, then it means nothing. And, and yes, yeah, so, so, so and, and Miggy, when you were saying that, that uh, uh, different states handle this differently. And why doesn't this, you know, why doesn't the state ha process happen first and then the town process happen? Well, interestingly, Michigan did, uh, seeing what was going wrong in Massachusetts, they did say, you know what? We're going to pre-approve people first. The state of Maine is doing that too. Like start the process with the state get at least you know get a conditional license with the state then yeah. go to a city or town and say look we've got that the state says we're okay rather than sort of having to guess as to as to what process comes next and then it's all it's i mean and that's that's fundamentally why massachusetts and and so many other states are so hard to get into is that it's a never-ending series of catch-22 you can't have this without this well you can't have a without b and you can't have b without a so what do you do how do you solve oh, yeah. a b c d and e like simultaneously is that kind of like with the transport issue where all these dispensaries are like no we want to be the ones locked in because we were here first whereas it'd just be beneficial to add more players to the market you know it's um it's a winner take all mentality, and obviously we've seen that throughout the entire industry. And listen, you've seen that in many nascent industries. Uh, regardless, um, the point of the matter is this was the rule. Um, the CCC had a mandate to uh, establish some sort of protocol for social equity and inclusion, and so they said, okay, delivery will be that mechanism of which we help to deliver that. Um, and they just, they're not happy about that. Okay. They're, let's just be honest. They're not happy about that. Um, but at the same time, they claim that, okay, we didn't know this was happening. All right. I guess they're just walking around with blinders on. Cause every time I walk outside my door, I see piles of Amazon boxes on my neighbor's doorstep and everything. So for me, the natural correlation is that it would be happening in marijuana. So now they see something that's a direct attack to their business model of which they cannot own in their entirety. Now, this is where I get very disgusted because this is the rules. This is what has been dropped down. They have an, op they have an ability to enter this market too via the courier model. A social equity participant can uh, apply for a courier model, which is essentially like an Uber Eat, where they can contract with a dispensary and the dispensary would get all the orders that come in. They will package it and the uh, operator would just come up, pick up the orders, make his own route and then go and drop it off. The problem is, is that they kind of have to share some of their profits with that courier. That's a huge problem. And they just don't want to have to do that. They want to own it in its entirety. And my issue that I have is, is that you're not happy with how the rules are. You decided to do a scorched earth campaign of if we can't have it, we will destroy the entire uh, the entire model. And on top yeah. of that, in their latest in their lawsuit, which is just recently dropped because of grassroots pressure, they want to basically dismantle the entire social equity program in the process. It was a it was a total. They miscalculated, in my opinion, they went overboard. And finally, the, the community, grassroots, everybody is like, enough is enough. You have gone too far. And that's when we had a boycott picket start. I think, what was that, last Wednesday? Uh, yeah. And then within a week, enough pressure had developed where I think over 10 members of the Commonwealth Dispensary Association left the association and then posted public comments that we're for equity. Right now, there's still 20 members left. So in my opinion, they draw on their line. Uh, this is where we stand with social equity. That's just my opinion. That's not MCAS or anybody else's. That's just how I feel personally. And um, I think that 
the tide has changed. I think we are now in a, a new phase of marijuana, which I hope where people are saying, wait, listen, I was part of voting for this. I was part in constructing this this new industry. All of us, all of us in the grassroots industry. And this is how we wanted to look. This is not reserved for five people to sit around the table like the scene of the Godfather and decide who controls what borough. Jimmy from Worcester owns this one and Jimmy from Westboro owns this one. Like, come on now. Like, just stop it. Like, so I'm just hoping that this is the first step that changes everything in the state. Is that one of the reasons then why uh, the, the transport operator license that's new, that's coming out in Massachusetts, is that at a state level then? Morris, do you, you know? mean a delivery operator? Yeah, yeah, del- yeah, delivery operator is new. That that is a state level, and it should be well a bit. So the big reason why this is attached to social equity is that the commissioners rightly think this will be the lowest capital cost to get into the industry. So, so it is. So, so that that was one reason why the lawsuit against the delivery operator by the CDA was so egregious. Is that they said, "Well, look, if okay, if there's going to be this sort of delivery, then then everyone should do it." Which would then then it's like, all right, so now there's nothing special protecting social equity people. And, and and so, by the way, I, I should uh, this is a good opportunity to say, well, how does one qualify for social equity in Massachusetts? There's basically three ways. One is if you've lived in the state of Massachusetts for one year and you or your spouse has a marijuana conviction. The second way is if you've lived in Massachusetts for one year and your parent uh, has had a marijuana conviction. The third way is kind of interesting. It's if you've lived in one of 29 different cities or towns throughout the state that a, a researcher has figured out, okay, these are the 29 communities most affected by the war on drugs. So if you have lived in any one of those 29 towns for at least five of the last 10 years, that's another way that you qualify for social equity program membership. And, and so, so up until the, the, courier deliver, the courier license and the delivery <coughs> operator license, up until that point, the only benefit of being a social equity program member was an, an educational program that the that the commission provides, you know, like ha- half a month of, or half a year rather of of training in various aspects of running a business and cultivation and retailing and everything like that. And and the other benefit was sort of moving you to the head of the line for considering your application, but that was about it. So so if you didn't have any use for education. And if you were already sort of ahead in the line, being social equity didn't really mean that much. But now with these two, now with the courier license type, and that's actually kind of how Aaron and I joined together, is we both <laughs> were saying, "Wait a sec, there's not a business here. This, this is not a this. There's no. Not only can you not make money the way this is currently set up, this is doomed to fail from the start." Like, so, so anyway, um, so, so that model, so that's what basically why MCAD was created is myself, Aaron, and the other folks said, Hey, let's, let's petition, let's help. And, and I give Aaron and Janelle so much credit that, that we all spoke the commissioner's language to say, here's what we're seeing. This is a dead end. If, if you don't help this be better, you're just going to create more, ang- even more anger in the community than there already is. Yeah. I mean, I really like that Massachusetts is trying with the delivery aspect and, and, and doing this social equity part, but it reminds me of like the military when it started, right? When you're black and brown, you can only be a cook or a goddamn service person. You weren't full on integrated, but at least you're freaking trying, Massachusetts, right? City who 
First city to try to blame minorities for white guy actions, right? <laughs> oh, the Tea Party, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just don't like how much you've intermingled in, in Massachusetts. Uh, there, the cannabis license itself with the local government. So you're always going to have the guy who knows the guy who's friends with Bob. And because mm -hmm. of that, it becomes all these internal networks. And then people have that patronage system that you're kind of describing. And that's just that's just unfair. It's just un-American. You know, it should be about competition and being able to go into business. Because, like, if you license all these delivery drivers, they aren't all going to make that much money. Yeah. It kills the profits. Yeah. You centralize all the ownership like that and then push the cost up because of the uh, weird regulations oh. you have to jump through. Yeah, the only people that are left are rich people. Does, does a fair market mean it's up to the person to do like to do their salesmanship, to do their like networking and all that stuff? So like well, they, they have to actually go into business. That's the thing, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't care if you're good at sales, bad at sales. You don't have a license to do it. You can't do it, you know. I mean, listen, it's not it's not total free market principles that's really at play here. I mean, one could even say that social equity program in in its absolute essence is a violation of free market principles. However, I don't give a crap. Um, I am a capitalist, but I do understand the mechanisms of power and control that are at play and have been at play. And what I have seen is that, especially in the earlier days, that when you allow this to happen at the town level, a lot of bad things can happen. And we have seen this in this state and it's starting to, it's changed a lot. But in the earlier days, you know, the town would be like, okay, we want our 3% and you know what? We need a new $400,000 fire engine. Or I've heard all the time, I, mean, I know Morris heard them too, but we even have one town. Um, it was a big deal, uh, Fall River. Um, the mayor of that town this guy was taking kickbacks, sacks of weed. Uh, it was, and he's up on federal. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that is the perfect example, although that's an extreme case, but it's a perfect example of, of what can happen if you allow this to kind of just run away like a train, uh, you know, on the rails. And that's where I think we have to decentralize that power at the town level and bring it at the state level at least or something. Do you guys have oh good. Uh, you what? guys are a commonwealth, right? Uh, and so doesn't that mean that this I'm kind of surprised that the cities are running over the states in this one. I'm like, wait, we got home rule over here in Illinois. I thought you guys were a commonwealth. Shouldn't you have state down powers? So when you said that the state the city's the first step, I'm like, that's weird. But um how do you how how would it work, uh, Morris, if this, if these two new license types being the delivery courier and then the, the delivery operator uh, are handed and awarded at the state level, can they be anywhere? Well, that, that, is, that is one of the hopes for delivery is that because like you'll still need a dispatch building, you know, where, where uh, you know, with a vault and you're, you're storing your cars there and so forth. So there still needs to be a physical location. You can't just be that. That's one of the differences between Uber, where it's like just literally a, a person with a car, you still need a physical space and a physical address. But the fact that it is mobile should help that, that municipal thing be not quite as onerous as it is in retail and, and cultivation and, and product manufacturing in that um, we, we do have some cities in Massachusetts and the one I live in Holyoke is one of them where they've basically said, we're going to, we, we are going to let the market figure this out. We're not going to put a cap on the number of stores. We're not going to put a cap on the number of delivery agents in most likelihood. Now, of course, with stores, the reality is even if a city does not put a cap on it, well, real estate becomes a limiting factor. And, and you're now you're just sort of handing control over to landlords. So, so it is, it is a problem, but I do see delivery and, and the fact that it's mobile. So, so like a, t you know, two towns away, even if they say, oh, we're not having any delivery operators in our town. Like the, we're not going to create zoning for it. We're not going to approve any, 
but as long as they have a store, they can be delivered in two, because of course, you know, you know, there, the you you can't prevent town to town travel over public roads. The only thing the commission has done on the state level is say, if a town is a banned town, then you can't deliver into it. Oh, but wow. if the town is a yes town, whether or not they actually have a store or a cultivation, then it can be delivered into. Which is yeah. bullshit in itself, too. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest here. This is America. Uh, how are you going to tell me I'm paying property tax, excise tax, and everything else that I can't have something delivered to my house, regardless of what the town says that is legal within the state? That I can't have it delivered to my. It's. It, I, I sometimes you wonder like where the hell am I living? Like I just don't understand that logic. It's legal in the state. I'm paying my taxes. I don't care what my town said about they don't want it retailers in their town. You know, but it doesn't matter. It's legal in the state. I want it at my house. Bring it to my house. My taxes pay for the damn road for them to drive to my house. Like it's just, I, I just don't understand how you can have a, a, be a crime in one city and not in another. That doesn't yeah. make any sense it's at just, all. That's not legalization, then. It's ridiculous. No, it, yeah. Can I get beer delivered? It's supposed to free space. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There you go, like Mickey. You found it. And prohibited cities. It, it's the same thing. Like I should have the same protections if I'm in this city in Illinois or that city in Illinois. But Mickey just said it. You can have alcohol delivered to your town. No big deal. Nobody cares about that. But you know what? This this marijuana, my lord, it's like nuclear waste. And I, you know, think of the children. We just can't have somebody delivering to their private residence. God help us. What about the children? I. It's just uh. You know, like little, little tiny America, where like you start in Seattle, Washington, grass fuckers in Idaho, and you feel a little better in Montana, and then you're like, okay, well, I'm in North South Dakota, but you know what? It's not so good. Ah, shit, now I'm in somewhere else. Though. Yeah, you guys, it's all yeah. fucked up. Crazy. Yeah. But now, so what about like store licenses? Is that available or anything? Can I, can I, is recreation, can we start up getting a grow or a storefront? Is it just transportation right now? Well, well so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, right. And anybody can get in line for you know. If you go through the process, yeah. There's no, there's no barrier to applying for it to be a retailer, a product manufacturer, a cultivator, a testing lab. We, we also now have a research uh, license. I, I don't think that's really done anything yet, but I think that that was pretty forward thinking because of course, Massachusetts has a, has so many great educate higher educational institutions. Yeah. Well, like I was talking about it from its legal tan, uh, tapestry though, like Harvard law school is there. Jeez. They can't even run a state. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so that's crazy. You guys have a limit list. Like here, Washington state. We can't like, it's already capped out. Aaron, what's your, barrier that's holding you out what are you what, what what's making you put out of pocket right now what's what's stopping you from being in business because that's messed up well no i'm um okay so my wife and i we always knew that we wanted to uh go for the delivery license and when the first iteration of it came out you know we just created pages and pages of spreadsheets that's who we are and we're just like i don't care how you flip this around you will be out of business in six months because you can't get rid of your cash burn so we a new model had to be created that where you can just buy directly from a cultivator wholesale store it and sell at retail prices based upon the demand and that was that took a process i think morris we started that maybe last spring april or so and it's been a fight since ever since then i mean these regulations for delivery were supposed to be finalized in august and correct me morris if i'm wrong but the commonwealth dispensary association was just up in arms the whole time and each time um they kept on complaining that they weren't part of the process which is ridiculous um and so the ccc entertained them and said listen we will extend the public comment period another month Okay, so now we're in September, and then we'll extend it another month. So now we're in October. And then the CCC says, finally, you know what? November is going to be the last time that we extend this. 
Okay, you have had more than enough time to air your grievances. And so November 30th was the final day that they made it final, the regulations for delivery. So that's part of it. And this, listen, there's nuances behind the scenes that Morris and I had to deal with that will blow your mind just to even get to that point. And I mean, Morris was lobbying directly to the commissioners. I was, my wife was, Chris Fevery, Devin Alexander. We were all lobbying the commissioners and we honestly we did out to our own horn we did a damn good job of just explaining to them this is why this has needs to happen and here's the thing um morris it started out in the spring morris put out a uh, spreadsheet on facebook and i didn't know morris at that time i don't think and it was a great attempt at showing the expenses and the revenue and everything on how difficult it would be to make money in the courier model at that time you know my wife she had like pages and pages of spreadsheet as accountant and we went through it in different ways and we're like you know morris is he his was good but we're like you know, my wife had everything accounted for and she made it dynamic. So if the person got a ten delivery, a ten dollar delivery charge and a twenty percent discount off a of retail, we could show that you're screwed in every fashion. Yeah. So once they saw the actual numbers and that no matter what number because you know, we said we the commissioners, hey, give us a number you want us to plug in. And you plug it in, oh yeah, still in the red. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Once he started seeing the numbers, then they understood that something had to change. And I will be very honest with, about the commissioners. It's hard being a regulator. Okay. You have factions from all different angles, each one with their own agenda. And you're trying to create a model that is a lower barrier of entry. Um, and at the same time could be, you know, profitable for, uh, social equity applicants and sometimes it's hard to get down into the weeds um to really see if what we just did makes financial sense and i think that morris and my wife they really were good at illustrating to the commissioners that listen this is a great attempt but when you dig down deeper financially it doesn't work and then i think we came after that was solutions and that was a big deal it's one thing and this is for anybody listening in the grassroots community that has their own issues in their own state you can shout all you want it's not fair it's not fair it's not fair my suggestion is show them facts and have solutions for that and that's i believe in morris i jump in i think that was why we were very successful yeah yeah I think what was really successful was sort of twofold, and we even got this feedback direct from the commissioners. One is that all of us in MCAD, we took the time to really understand the commissioners, not, not, not just their personality and background, but we even asked them, well, what are the pressures or what, why are you suggesting this? What, what's your outcome? And then when we were able to say, oh, okay, I, I get your, your safety concern, well, instead of addressing it this way, how about we address it that way because it's more practical? And so, so that sort of thing combined with with Aaron and Janelle and and those that was the other thing which they said was really impactful was to actually see documented what the result of their ideas were. You know, the commissioners have ideas; they're trying to imagine, okay, how would this work in, in real life? But until we, we then come to them and say, all right, you're imagining this, but as Aaron says, at the bottom of your, your theoretical thing, you're in the red and you never get out of the red. So how on earth is that supposed to work? So I think it was this combination that, that helped, uh, uh, help them get, help persuade them to move it to this other thing. Okay. And just real quick to answer your other question of, how difficult is it for like, well, Aaron said about what, what makes it so different, difficult in Massachusetts. For me, I, I've been at this in Massachusetts for over a year and it's so difficult in Massachusetts that our first store is going to open in Maine. Oh, <laughs> to a different state. Yeah. Holy yeah. <laughs> 
What's <laughs> wrong with the unpack right there? You know, uh, it's nice. like you're actually ahead of the curve with that late move in Maine that you would have been staying here in Massachusetts. Well, yeah. and, and that's why I pursued it. So, so fortunately, I have a, a business partner who is already resident of Maine. But when I was talking to him literally a year ago, I'm like, you know what? If we, I've been at this in Massachusetts for about half a year already. If we start now in Maine, we will probably get that open before Massachusetts. I think Aaron has a great. And then you could go backwards, and next thing you know, you're MSO Mo. That's right. One of the big guys I hate. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, I want to know when the uh, license application window will come through for the dispensary uh, delivery operators license at the state level, simply because now these rules, they took forever, but they appear to be finalized. So that's one of the last steps before an application drops. Uh, do we have any regulations that tells us what's in the application? Do we have anything so we can start those apps? Yes. So, so, so my, um, basically the delivery operator application is in all likelihood going to be 90% or more the same as the courier license, which is already out there. So if you take a look at the courier, you can use that to get ready for the delivery operator. We definitely think the delivery operator, so that's actually, it's actually going to be a three-part process. There's a pre-certification done at the state level that doesn't depend on the town. So that is the state trying to address that whole uh, town versus state issue. I think that, that the, the commission's dedicated to getting that up ASAP. I'll be really surprised if that's not open by February. But, and then, I, I, will, I have a different opinion. I think you won't see an ounce of weed delivered, but with the delivery operator license before Labor Day, I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see. I say from beginning to end. Uh, yes, I believe. I think the delivery operator application probably closer towards the end of March, but I think Morris and I are probably in that same area. But then once that's actually available. I think you probably won't see a final license. It commenced operations probably not into the summer at the very earliest, I think. Do you need real? I think it'll be even fall before somebody's delivering under that license. Yeah, do you yeah need real I think so too. Yeah. So, like, uh, with somebody who's going to apply, yes. they need to um, yeah. The thing about the delivery operator license, because you are buying wholesale, you have to be able to store the product. That's one of the things that we fought for, that we wanted a level of independence to decide our own fate. I know, God help us if we want to be able to choose how we want to decide our own destiny, but that so we can purchase wholesale and store it in our own warehouse and then have our own website and deliver it to the customer at retail prices. So you're going to have to have uh, real estate. Obviously, you're going to have to have back office with dispatch and admin, people who are packing. Uh, your own safe vaulted room is a quote unquote vaulted room. So that is actual real estate and obviously property of which to park it. So, you know, you need, you know, a decent amount, you know, of space. So yes, there are real estate considerations with this model, but at least you're more like a business and my life is not dictated by how much a retailer is willing to give me percentage wise. Um, And that's all we want. Give us an opportunity to actually compete. That's it. Nobody's promised success. It should be at least promised the opportunity to compete. That's all. How much do you think it's going to cost to comply with the regulations for the stored facility and the real estate? I mean, this sounds like it's still going to be several hundred thousand dollars to open your doors. I think without a doubt, and that was one of the things that I brought with Commissioner Flanagan and me and my wife, is that I understand your mandate that you're trying to create a lower barrier of entry um, license. At the end of the day, this is marijuana. There's really no such thing as lower barrier entry. Uh, it's going to probably cost you 300 grand for a courier license to have a number of cars and be compliant at least to some other things. But once you get the delivery operator one, you're probably pushing, you're definitely pushing up to the million dollar mark. Um, because of property, everything else. And listen, in our state, you have to have two people in the car at all times when you're delivering the product. It has to be a retro car 
with, you know, and it has to have a safe that's bolted to the car. You have to have body cameras uh, on the driver it's, and cameras in the car, on the product, in the cockpit. That adds a lot of, of expenses. And then, listen, we haven't gotten to fuel. So there's there's a lot of layers of expenses when it comes to delivering the product. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's there's no such thing as a low barrier of entry in marijuana, sad to say. Is that because of marijuana? Jump out and bite you? You know, you needed a second oh, no, it's radioactive. Up. It's radioactive. <laughs> that, that, that's the problem. It's radioactive. Um, you have to have, make sure you have uh, all types of isotopes in the car to make sure you can counteract any type of cancer from the radioactive uh, material. <laughs> so, and then once again, always you got to think about the children. Children should need to be taught they have an endocannabinoid system and the marijuana laws were based on lies and duplicit and terrible, terrible things. You know, moving on. We're not going to do that to you, kids. You know. One more thing, though, before we actually wrap everything up. Something that's near and dear to my heart now, and I talked about this a little bit when we're off air, but I want to make sure I'm throwing everybody under the bus on this. Social equity participants have been um, confidentially given my wife and I LOI and term sheet agreements only because of our background and our ability to be able to read through the bull crap. And these same entities that are suing to <laughs> stop the delivery operator are some of the same entities who are actively engaging with social equity applicants at a predatory level in order to get 49% of their company. And so you have to ask yourself, okay, some of these terms are just so disgusting and so predatory. And I get, I'll give you a quick example. I ran, it's the most egregious one, read through it. The entity, which is an incumbent player, has three locations. It's going to invest in the social equity for 49% of the company, um, an undisclosed amount of money, and they want a 2x return on that investment. 100% of the social equities earnings have to go to on a priority basis to pay back the 2x investment. So then you ask so then you ask yourself how the hell is the social equity person going to ever make money? 100% is this written in the, in the agreement has to go to pay back that 2x investment. Also within it there's an optionality. So when exclusivity ends in the third year, hopefully, or it might end in the third year, the option kicks in where the entity gets to purchase the remaining 51% at five times EBITDA. Now, you see how this is all getting together here. How are you going to have a five times EBITDA buyout when 100% of my cash flows is going back to paying back the 2x investment on a, pri- on a priority status and also... If all my earnings is going to paying that back, there are no return, retained earnings of which I can help grow my business and actually get bigger. So they're actually creating contracts of which to keep the social equity participant in a certain range because it's counterproductive for them to pay 10 or $20 million for something that they help get successful. So what they're going to do is just keep it within the range. And so really... All that's going to happen is once the app optionality or the warrant is actually tripped at 5X, it's probably going to be no earnings. So essentially, they're probably going to either push it into receivership or purchase the remaining 51% at cents on the dollar. This is rampant. And this is what I want every social equity participant to see that, listen, you can send it to me, my wife, I will. I'll look through it. I'm not asking for any money, nothing of your company. I don't want that. I just want to educate people because you cannot be preyed upon if you have the education in which to protect yourselves. And that's why I want social equity participants to understand their value, understand their worth. We have to start sharing. Um, we have to start. Listen, I happen to be good in finance. I will I, I will help any way I can. There's other people who are good at it. Morris has, is great at everything. He's a renaissance man. He will help out as well, too. Let's share our resources, protect one another, and make sure that we're fairly compensated for what we're trying to do. Or next thing you know, we're all going to look like new addition back in the old days when they are getting robbed on a 50-city tour and they come back with a $600 check. But it's still, it's modern-day servitude is what you're talking about. It's modern-day oh, indentured servitude. I, I call it sharecropping. Sharecropping is probably yeah. more appropriate, but 
but yeah, indentured servitude, sharecropping, yeah. Uh, but you know, Aaron, back to your point about like if you're going to advocate for something, like this process is all fucked up. You guys are learning; it's hard, and even when you get through, you're still not done. And 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 uh, I thought you just had the best advice earlier: is if you have to bitch about something, have an answer for it. Because here in Washington, I saw medical die because when 502 came about, that's our recreational law. The testimony for this was just bitching. There was no answers. There was no hey, let's do regulated test you know required testing that's there was no suggestions on how to regulate it was just you can't do this to me i'm an american <laughs> I, I got rights that don't do shit until you have an option for that guy period so yeah i just want to say that's good shit man <laughs> so how many do we know how many licenses for the transporter the state's going to give out is there a limit or a cap yeah, right now there's no there's no limit. I mean, most most every town has a limit on how many retailers they will allow. A handful say we'll let the market decide, but but in all practicality, it, it, uh, in a great extent, it's going to be determined by who gets there first. Morris and Aaron, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Uh, Morris, for folks who joined us a little later, where can we go to learn more about what you guys got going on at the Massachusetts Cannabis Association for Delivery? Sure, sure. So the website there is MassCAD, M-A-S-S-C-A-D dot org. And there is a button to uh, sign up for the email newsletter uh, on that webpage. Awesome. And Aaron, you said people can reach out to you for... Uh, feedback and learn more about their social equity status uh where can they contact you uh yeah listen you can send me uh any uh, yeah, i'm on facebook everywhere find me there um but you can feel free to email me at a-g-o-i-n-e-s at the emerald turtle.com um there and anywhere else but if you get in contact with morris he knows how to find me and i know how to find him so we're all around Awesome. Dope. And before we go, we do want to shout out Eve Bre Breden Boggy and Sonic Strains. Thanks for throwing us some cash. 50% of every donation we get goes straight to Cannabis Prisoners Commissary. So you're helping pay for some hygiene products and snacks. So thank you guys so much. And thanks for tuning in. Everyone, make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We'll see you on Wednesday. Thanks. <laughs>